now. Broadcasting from the 960 The Patriot Studios in beautiful Arizona. Your car insiders. They work for you, not the dealer. Now you have personal friends for the car buying experience. Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? On the road again. Here are your hosts, Dana Southern and Gary Green. Good morning and welcome to Your Car Insiders on 960 The Patriot. My name is Dana Southern and I am here with my friend and business partner, Gary Green. And together we represent Your Car Insiders. We work for you and not the dealer. Today we have a very special guest and a a nice gentleman that I was fortunate enough to have the opportunity to assist um, actually twice in the last few months initially for his lovely wife in the acquisition of a beautiful new Maxima, and then most recently, um, this past month, in the acquisition of a new GMC Canyon. But interestingly enough, I had the opportunity to pick up Ted and kind of carpool with him on the way to the dealership to pick up the Canyon. And what an educational experience that was. And so I ended up asking him if he would consider coming on the show to help us learn a little bit about some of the things that are certainly way outside my scope of understanding. And and I suspect something that Gary is maybe not aware of. His name is Ted Yoder. He is an investigator and detective with the Glendale Police Department. And I'd like to start with him perhaps telling us a little bit about his background and why it might be that we invited him on the show. Good morning, Ted, and good morning, Gary. Good morning. Good morning. So um, uh, thank you for having me on the show. I'm happy to be here. Uh, A little bit about myself. I um, started out, I graduated from the University of Iowa with an engineering degree. I worked in the engineering field, the civil engineering field, for about seven years, got my professional license, and then after um, September 11th, 2001, I decided to kind of take a career change, and I ended up at the Glendale Police Department in 2003. Um, After about four years, I made it to the vehicular crimes squad as a detective, and our purpose is to respond to serious, fatal, and criminal crashes, automobile crashes. Now, one thing that's very interesting is you heard what division he works in. Most people probably don't even realize that there is a separate vehicular homicide division in the police department. Well, the police department is is a bureaucracy, and so we have many divisions, and one of them is the traffic division. And inside the traffic division, you'll have the motor uh, motorcycle enforcement. Um, you'll have special events and operations, and then you've got the traffic division, um, and part of that is the uh, vehicular crime squad. So we're a team of detectives. Uh, we we only work crashes in the city of Glendale, um, but I have some. Um, statistics for statewide, and I, and I know what our numbers are in Glendale. Uh, and so my focus is traffic safety, uh, crash safety, and what we can all do to reduce the number of fatal crashes in our state and in my city. You can put your phone down while you're driving? That is a big one. Distraction is something that is on everybody's mind, uh, and it's becoming more aware. Uh, but really, uh, in my opinion... Uh, there are three main factors that go into fatal crashes, and that is um, sobriety, 
seatbelts, and speed. You know, a lot of people, when he just said what he said, they talk about, uh, it makes me crazy when I see somebody driving a vehicle and they don't have their seatbelt on. And an airbag is actually called an SRS, a supplemental restraint system. So the joke that we used to say when we would talk about it is you would see these commercials on TV and it was the Lincoln Continental and the airbag would go off and they showed this beautiful white cloud coming out of the dashboard. Okay, it's like getting punched in the face by Mike Tyson. And I'm fortunate enough to say that it's only been told to me that how it feels. I've never had to feel it. But I've spoken to people that I talked to a guy one day and the guy was telling me he had been in a car accident because I asked him what happened. And he had some skin abrasions on his face and he had two black eyes and a broken nose. And I said, what happened? He says, I was in a car accident and this is what the airbag did to me. And I said, really? Did you have your seatbelt on? No answer. Okay. The object of a supplemental restraint system is that your seatbelt pulls you back into the seat and the airbag pillows, but it's not a pillow. It comes out. What's the speed that an airbag comes out at? Well, uh, when you look at crashes, um, the airbag usually has to de- deploy in about 10 to 15 milliseconds. If you're not deployed uh, 10 milliseconds after the crash or, or thereabouts, um, it's too late. And so the speed to go to inflate a bag, they come out very rapidly. Yeah. And I, I wasn't looking for an exact answer, but he answered the question. When somebody talks in milliseconds. <laughs> and and to, to make another point is, of course, as Gary pointed out, um, they work in conjunction with each other. The, the, if you're not wearing your safety belt, then the design is no longer how it was designed to work. And therefore, the outcome can be far different and far more unfortunate. And it's one of those things where, you know, in America, freedom and having the ability to to kind of choose is, is what people use as an excuse, I think, to to not protect themselves. But the reality is that there's besides yourself, there's the other people on the road, there's the family in your car that depend on you. And it's as simple as clicking it and making a massive difference as opposed to defeating the purpose of the technology. You know, and he just said, click it. And they have that sign all the time. You'll see it overhead. It says, click it or ticket. Now it's become a, a, it's just common nature. It's I get in the car, I put my seatbelt on. Yep. I, I get in the car and I might start to drive away and I realize that I don't and I put my seatbelt on. I'm never in the car for more than five seconds without the seatbelt on. I have a friend of mine and I love him to death and we had a conversation one day that he refuses to wear his seatbelt. He's he just hates it. I'm like, Dave, come on. It's it, it's as simple as just put So I said to him one day, How do you drive your car? without the seatbelt on, and it doesn't chime. Well, there's two ways to do it. One, you sit on your seatbelt, and it's plugged in. He didn't even like that. He shoved quarters in where the seatbelt goes in, so he tricked the seatbelt into thinking that the seatbelt's buckled. And I said to him, when you have the accident, and God forbid something happens, can I have the change? It's unbelievable. You know, it's there to help you. There's nothing dangerous 
about a seatbelt. So we talked a little bit about uh, seatbelts, and you said before that they're supplemental to the airbag. So this, a lot of cars will have a pretensioner, meaning that um, it's part of the restraint system. So when your seatbelt is on and you're driving and you're not in an accident, that seatbelt is fairly loose. Uh, when the car detects a crash and it decides that it has to deploy the airbag, a lot of cars will have a tensioner that actually sucks the seatbelt buckle down and, and actually makes the seatbelt tight around you to keep you as part of the car instead of a free-moving body. Um, when we do reconstruction, uh, we base all of, our, all of our reconstruction on Newton's laws of motion. And not to get too technical, but um, Newton's first law said an object in motion stays in motion and an object at rest stays at rest. So when your car is driving 40 miles an hour and hits a solid barrier or another vehicle, and, it's, and it very rapidly changes speed to zero or some slow speed, your body inside the car is still moving at 40 miles an hour. And without a seatbelt to slow you down gradually, you're going to move forward and hit the steering wheel, hit the dash, hit the A-pillar, um, and that airbag's not going to stop you. And my understanding is most manufacturers, not all, have typically a, a dual stage or a dual threshold airbag today, which is designed, even though, as Officer Yoder pointed out, they, they actually deploy in, in milliseconds, I mean, faster than you can even begin to imagine. I used to describe it, imagine the best drummer that you've ever seen, and depending on who that might be, they, they typically will beat somewhere between about four and four and a half beats per second if they're exceptional. These are pulsating the, the pressure on the brakes I don't know if it's hundreds of times per second, but depending on the version, so many times per second that ultimately many people don't truly use the feature properly because they end up wanting to pump the brake when you're not supposed to do that. It's designed to give you steering control in a heavy braking situation. Is that correct? Yeah, you're talking about anti-lock braking systems. And so the purpose of that is when your tires are locked and skidding, um, you basically, you only are, you're riding on friction and um, you don't have the ability to, to impart steering friction and steering forces to the tires to help you change direction. So when the tires are locked and skidding, you're basically out of control. When, what ABS does is it, is it provides on that maximum threshold of braking where you're able to slow down at near the maximum amount allowed by by physics and then you are still able to steer and avoid a collision if you can now dana and i had a conversation the other day when we were talking about something he was talking about where he grew up and how he's lived and where he lives and i i overheard i remember when ted was talking about where he was from and he mentioned when we were coming up in the elevator about one hundred and twenty thousand accidents last year last year now the, take one thing out of the equation, and I'm going to ask Dana a question. Now, Ted grew up in Iowa? Yes. Okay. Dana, did you ever drive on the snow? No, not okay. normally. Now, let me tell you something. I learned to drive in when the snow. When he talked about the friction and he talked about this, and people would say to me how beautiful snow is, what do you think the impact, if we had snow and ice in Arizona, would change the statewide crashes? 
Well, that first year, it would be horrible. Right. Because nobody, uh, now, not many people have the experience and the knowledge to deal with it. Now, you mentioned the friction and the this, and I was driving home one day, and it had snowed, and the streets were plowed, and I'm two houses from my house, and I don't see it, but the whole street is ice. And I was all of a sudden in a 3,000-pound missile. And... There was no steering. There was no stopping. And I mean, I hit my neighbor's car. I was going 20 miles an hour. Now, I punched the whole front of a Camaro in, and I knocked the whole rear end of an Oldsmobile off at 20 miles an hour on ice. It's very interesting. What I want Ted to talk about is what happens when you arrive at a scene. And we're going to do that after the break. And remember, you can always reach me at 602-525-1370. You can reach Dana at 602-679-8324. The most prestigious and coveted honor that American Honda Motor Company awards dealerships is the President's Award. The award recognizes the dealership teams who demonstrate superior achievement and customer satisfaction, new car unit sales value, and business management. Earnhardt Honda is proud to have received this prestigious award many times, and they want to show you why they're the top-selling Honda dealer in the Central and West Phoenix Valley regions. Earnhardt Honda's mission is to provide their customers with world-class service in every phase of the sales and service experience. 100% customer satisfaction is General Manager Joey Staples' goal. The staff at Earnhardt Honda participate in continuous training programs to improve industry and product knowledge and new ways to continue to provide top-notch customer service. Joey realizes that customers have a choice, and when customers like you choose Earnhardt Honda, you have put your implicit trust in them. Joey appreciates and is honored to have your trust. You can reach him at his desk by calling 623-463-4308 or visit him at Earnhardt Honda, located in Avondale or online at EarnhardtHonda.com. Monta Vista Cleaners has the latest state-of-the-art equipment and uses only the best cleaning supplies available. Family-owned and operated since 2001. They offer fast, same-day service until 9 a.m. every day on dry-cleaned items and next-day service on all other items. They are open from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Monday through Saturday. So stop by any of our three locations, 210 North 59th Avenue, Suite 111 in Glendale, or 8345 West Thunderbird, Suite 104 in Peoria, or 777 East Thunderbird Road, number 105 in Moon. Valley. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Welcome back to Your Car Insiders on 960 The Patriot. Once again, I'm Gary Green. I'm here with my 
friend and business partner, Dana Southern, and we are your car insiders. You can always reach me at 602-525-1370. You can reach Dana at 602-679-8324. Very special thanks to the Earnhardt Auto Centers. They, they believe in what we do, and we believe in how they do business. They support us. We, we try to do business with them. But remember, folks, we'll go wherever you want to go to buy a car unless we know it's a really bad place. I want to thank Ted again for coming on the show. What he talks about, it's, it's so interesting to me, and it's kind of like it's, it's amazing what he does, and it's also amazing what you're not aware that your car does. But the question I had for Ted was, what are you looking for when you arrive at the scene of a car accident? So I work for Glendale, and uh, we were, as I said earlier, we respond to serious and fatal and, and criminal uh, automobile crashes that can be car pedestrian, car motorcycle. We get about, um, unfortunately, about thirty-five to forty callouts per year, where one, where some of my squad has to uh, respond. Many of them in the middle of the night and during the day. When a when a serious and fatal crash occurs, um, it can off so the patrol units, the fire uh, personnel, uh, traffic control. I you know a bunch of people, the first responders show up and. It doesn't usually take them very long to understand this is a very serious crash. Uh, if they detect impairment on one of the drivers, that could lead to criminal charges. If somebody's in very serious uh, medical need from very serious injuries, that's pretty apparent quickly. And so usually within the first 30 to 45 minutes, they realize that they need the vehicular crime squad and they'll make the calls. And if I'm at home, um, often I'm arriving at the scene an hour to an hour and a half after the crash. And so by that time, they have they should have separated all the witnesses, kept the cars in their rest position, tried not to disturb any of the physical evidence. And then uh, once we w- have a little briefing to figure out what's known and what's unknown, we start looking at the roadway uh, for any marks left by tires. When cars are, are so damaged that they're dragging metal parts, we look for those scratches and gouges. Uh, they'll often leave fluid trails from radiators, oil pans, even shock absorbers will, will, you know, get, and that leads us back to what we call the area of impact where the two cars first touched, um, during a heavy crash, and, and I work in a city, so I'm an urban city speed, we call it. So anywhere from about 25 to 65 miles an hour, the freeway guys are much higher than that. Um, but we usually see impacts between 25, 65 miles an hour, sometimes a little faster. Um, in those crashes, when two cars collide, between first touch and maximum crush is about 100 milliseconds to 150 milliseconds. That's 0.1 to 0.15 seconds. Most people blink in 0.1 seconds. So in the literally in the blink of an eye, two cars went from undamaged to completely crushed. And... You know, that's why we're here. You know, I had the unfortunate experience. I had a, my brother-in-law's brother was killed in a, an accident. And he was not driving. He was sitting at a light at 35th Avenue and Greenway. And he was hit from the rear. And the damage to the car that was in front of him was it was made the rear of the car unrecognizable and the problem was my brother-in-law's brother was sitting on his Harley Davidson 
and he got caught between the two cars. And the only thing that I remember, getting chills when I think about it, was when my sister-in-law told me that when she actually had the opportunity to speak to detectives and talk to this and talk about that, there were absolutely no skid marks. The guy was driving. Now, he was driving impaired, and he did end up going to prison. And the mother didn't want to go through the whole process of a courtroom and sitting there looking at pictures and describing this and describing that. So he got off He got off with seven years for, I don't know if it was vehicular homicide or whatever it was, but the pages in the report were unbelievable. But the one thing that stuck in my mind was the no skid marks. Well, there's a couple things that could have happened. He could have never braked. He could have braked at a lesser amount that didn't leave any skid marks or, t- or roadway evidence, or the car could have had analog brakes. And those marks are extremely difficult to find. Um, they're often destroyed. Uh, you'd be surprised. I've seen some of our crashes on video camera that have been captured by some surveillance. How many cars go through a scene before the first officer or, or our department arrives? And before the roadway can even be shut down, you could have a dozen, 25 vehicles go th- drive right through your evidence. I mean, you'd think if there was a shooting in the roadway, people wouldn't drive over the blood and the body, but they do for car accidents because we're we all have to get somewhere. You know, it's funny when you said that, and I started to laugh when he said the car's through the scene. How many times is there an accident, the police aren't there yet, and all of a sudden there's a second accident because now they're driving and they're looking and they're seeing, oh my gosh. The looky-loose. Yeah. You know, and I've been doing nothing but car accidents for nine years, okay? And I've, I've seen hundreds, if not thousands. Um, I have never met anyone who thought, you know, today's the day I'm going to be involved in a fatal crash. Everybody's having a normal day until the worst possible thing happens, and it's, it's just never expected. You don't know when you're going to get hit by a crazy driver or somebody who ran a red light. There is just no way to tell, and so you have to always be prepared uh, and do everything you can to protect yourself. Well, I can tell you for sure that when I was a little boy, one of the first things, and it happened to my stepdad, but neither here nor there, he always taught me from years before I ever started to drive that you have to be a defensive driver. You don't have to worry as much about what you're doing as what other people are doing. And that's, I think, true to this day. When you talk about defensive driving, that... Another word for that is predictable driving. So you're indicating your turns, your lights work. What causes a lot of accidents, in my opinion, in my experience, is when the unpredictable happens. Everybody stops at a red light, but when somebody doesn't, you often get a crash. Everybody uh, signals their, their lane change, but when somebody doesn't, Somebody's not ready for that, and that can cause a crash. When uh, somebody stopped uh, at a green light without going, and somebody goes around them, they didn't see the pedestrian in the crosswalk. You know, these are the, so. If everybody were more defensive and more predictable, there would be less crashes. You know, there's there's things on the internet where you can look and you can catch cameras and you, you'll see accidents. And was one that he just mentioned. The guy was at a, at a light to make a left turn and he was making the left turn and the car to the right going in the opposite direction was going straight across well the guy behind the guy making the left turn didn't want to wait so what does he do 
he's coming up behind him and goes around him. Well, the guy that's going straight doesn't see him. And the next thing you know, it's just like Ted just said. You don't wake up in the morning thinking that you're going to have an accident. You don't wake up in the in, in the morning and realize that the guy that you're driving next to is on the phone or he drank last night or he did this or he did that. But if you're looking to possibly acquire a new vehicle or a used one, please remember you can reach Gary at 602-525-1370 Or you can reach me, Dana, at 602-679-8324. God willing, you'll never need Ted. Earnhardt Lexus customers drive the finest vehicles in the world and have equally high expectations from their dealership. We invite you to visit the all-new state-of-the-art facility and experience the pride that every Earnhardt Lexus associate takes to provide quality service to their clients. At Earnhardt Lexus, you'll find more than just a vehicle. You'll find people who know how to take care of a Lexus and even more importantly, how to take care of you. Now located in the heart of Phoenix at 800 East Camelback Road, Phoenix, Arizona, 85014. Larry H. Miller Nissan's general manager, Bill Brixey, is committed to helping you find the new or used vehicle you've been searching for. Whether it is new or used Nissans or new or used cars from the top manufacturers, Bill can help. But here is the game stopper. Bill's finance staff offers expert advice to those seeking a great deal on a car or lease. Larry H. Miller Nissan has a top-notch service and parts department always willing to help you with your Nissan. Larry H. Miller is located at 2025 West Riverview Auto Drive in Mesa. Nobody likes to be in debt, and that's why it's usually not wise to borrow money. But if your air conditioner calls it quits in the middle of summer and you don't have cash on hand, what are you going to do? Mike Aliyah here again from Benefit Air to give you the best solution to a difficult problem because sometimes we have to make tough choices in life with money issues and we need all the help we can get. Because Benefit Air is a train comfort specialist dealer, we have access to financing terms that other dealers can't even come close to. What if you could get a brand new train system complete with a full 10-year parts and labor warranty for a low monthly payment? And what if a large portion of that monthly payment would be offset by the savings in your energy bill? And what if the energy savings over the life of the system was actually equal to or more than the cost of the system? At Benefit, we want to help you out of a tight spot by offering payment options that are affordable while providing you with a wise investment that can save you money for years to come. Call Benefit today to find out more about the financing options for a new high-quality train system that you can afford. 602-840-9229 or visit us on the web at BenefitAir.com. Experience the benefit of using Benefit Air. Hey guys, let's play some video games. This new dad plays video games with his sons. But the challenge feels like he's lifting a metric ton. So many buttons. His avatar just stares at the walls, twists and turns and somehow falls. Help me. He's tangled up in the controller's core. I just don't understand this crazy digital world. Crazy, crazy digital world. Heroes and worlds. But the love from his kids is totally apparent. Ooh. See, you don't have to be perfect to be the perfect parent. You should have just played catch. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Thousands of siblings in foster care will take you just as you are. For more information on how you can adopt, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt U.S. Kids, and the Ad Council.
Welcome back to Your Car Insiders on 960 The Patriot. It's a special honor for me to have Ted here today. And I hope for those of you listening, um, that you are listening, I'm optimistic that we might be able to get a chance to invite Ted back another time. But for today, we want to get as much as we can. You know, and, and really quick, it's kind of what we've never done this before. I don't think we're, it's, I'm going to tell you what I want to talk about next week. Go ahead. Now, we have the opportunity to go into a lot of car dealerships and help people buy cars. And I noticed two things this week that Cadillac has removed holdback from their invoices, which is monstrous in how your deal is affected buying a Cadillac. Because if you're looking at a $100,000 Cadillac, the holdback could be in the $2,600, $2,700 range. And they've taken that away from the dealership. They probably put it someplace else. It's more of a stair-step thing probably now. Now, the other thing was I noticed that Hyundai, I talked to general manager just yesterday. They don't have their dealer cash anymore. But as Dana just said, it was put someplace else. But now, rather than being on every car, it's attached to a number of cars you sell. But what I thought was interesting, they actually get percentages. If they sell this many cars, they get this much of the money. They sell this many cars, that much of the money. 80% of objective, listen, 90%. You'll listen in next week. We'll talk about that because I wish we could sit with Ted for three hours today because what he's talking about is extremely, extremely interesting. And important for you to know. So one of the things that I thought was um, important for people to understand, and I don't think everybody does, is that your car uh, has several systems inside of it which capture data. Cars are more computerized now than they ever have been, and there are they are actually keeping your data inside the car. And what I mean by that is, um, let's talk about airbag control modules. These these are um, basically they're 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 a box that sits in your car and its sole purpose, anytime the ignition is turned on, there is an accelerometer, meaning it's measuring how much your car is changing speed and how rapidly. So uh, when your car is in a collision, a real collision, that detects the change in speed in milliseconds. And when it reaches a certain threshold, there's a computer chip in there that its only job is to make a decision. And that decision is, do we deploy airbags or do we not deploy airbags? Do we deploy the front ones? Do we deploy them full strength? Do we deploy the side airbags? And so there's a whole array of sensors and systems inside your vehicle that are sending information to the airbag control module. So um, they've been doing crash testing for what, decades? Mm -hmm. And during these crash testing, they're trying to develop, all the manufacturers are trying to develop safety systems to protect lives. Well, airbags have been a huge development in over the last 30, 40 years. Well, they're getting really good at it now. But what they did, what they figured out in crash testing is they load the car up with sensors, but they have to know whether they're algorithm whether the decision making process was correct or not should the airbag have deployed and it didn't or did it deploy when it shouldn't may i ask a quick question yes i i kind of asked him this before but i just wanted to clarify for the listeners my understanding is in order for an airbag to actually deploy it typically takes a rapid deceleration and an impact is that correct 
the airbag algorithms, and they're all they're computer code written by engineers, and they're specific to each vehicle. There is no set threshold for all cars. Each car has their own threshold. So they're looking for a certain number of Gs of acceleration within a certain number of milliseconds because do manufacturers get sued? Yes, they do. All the time. Right. And so that's why airbag modules started recording data. So General Motors was one of the first to actually have retrievable data, and they started back in 94, 95. So that's a long time ago. Over 20 years ago. Right. And so what they figured is... If we're selling these cars to the public and we have systems and people are complaining that the airbags are injuring them, wouldn't it be nice to have crash data in your car? Then we can... Makes makes sense when you say it out loud. Right. So that data, what is it? Well, the early ones captured that acceleration, but the later ones capture a lot more that I'd like to talk about. You know, and, and, and a couple of things who... When I hear Ted say things, I like to write things down. And one of the things he was talking about, how fast the computers and how fast the cars react. You can't keep up with your car. You're not going to react to anything like your car's going to react. Because you're human. <laughs> right. And one of the things that's scary is that we talk about these crashes and we talk about this and we talk about safety and we talk about this. And all of a sudden, you know. They're building these cars with 650 horsepower, 707 horsepower. The new Dodge Demon, I think, is 804 or 840 horsepower. And these Ferraris and these Lamborghinis, and just because you can afford the car doesn't mean you know how to drive it. Earnhardt Auto Centers is proud to announce the addition of Earnhardt Mazda. The team at Earnhardt Mazda, located at 15350 North Hayden Road in Scottsdale, is open to serve all Mazda owners and those who want a new Mazda. Come in today and let us walk you through our Mazda inventory, including new and used Mazdas with many different options. We are here to service all Mazdas and, of course, have genuine Mazda parts. Stop by the new Earnhardt Mazda today. Welcome to Rodeo Ford, located in Goodyear, Arizona at 13680 West Test Drive. Rodeo Ford is proud to be one of the premier dealerships in the area. From the moment you walk in their showroom, you'll know their commitment to customer service is second to none. They strive to make your experience with Rodeo Ford a good one for the life of your vehicle. Whether you need to purchase, finance, or service a newer pre-owned Ford, you've come to the right place. Welcome back to Your Car Insiders on 960 The Patriot. And I got to tell you, this is one of the the things that Ted is talking about is so interesting to me. Like I said earlier, three hours. You know, special thanks to Lundy's Peoria Volkswagen located 8801 West Bell Road. Right behind them is their Mitsubishi store. Couldn't Couldn't think of a better place where I'd like to help somebody buy a car. But when we were talking about reaction times in this, I've had the opportunity in my life to own some cars that are really, really fast. And I've had a Z06 Corvette in 2006, and I had a Corvette that was called a Lingenfelter. And it was a car that, when I bought the car, had a heads-up display, and Lingenfelter put the speedometer in the car. It was the only car I ever had where the speedometer went to 300 miles an hour. And the car 
was documented over 230 miles an hour. One separate thing, Gary knows how to drive a car. But that being said, I got the opportunity to be invited to the GM Proving Grounds because some guys in the Corvette Club that are friends with a friend of mine, and I'm not a club joiner, heard about the car that I had. And they wanted to see what it could do on the racetrack. And we went out. It's not even a racetrack. It was the GM Proving Grounds. And here's what the crazy thing is. When you're on a racetrack and you're going 180 miles an hour, you don't really have a reference of how fast you're going because there's nothing next to you. Now, I took this car one day and I did something really stupid with it and I realized how stupid it was and I got home and I handed my wife the keys and I told her, put the keys away, don't let me have them and I will never drive this car again till we, because I'm a little kid in, inside and there's no reason to do what I did. It was completely stupid and I probably... Could, could still be in jail if I got caught. But the crazy thing is when you're going that fast and there's street lights and the street lights are a blink and a blur at 180 miles an hour with these race car drivers, anybody that says a race car driver is not a trained professional huh. at 60 miles an hour, watch how you pass things and how fast you go by the trees and you go by this. And Ted mentioned about he does most of his crashes are in the 25 to 60 mile range because he's in. Now, I was on a city street when this kid pulled up next to me and it was 11 o'clock at night. No one was around. And thank God there wasn't a police officer around. But I parked the car and never drove it again because I realized how advanced, how how much faster the car was than if I could have ever reacted. If somebody would have pulled out and not seen me, that Corvette would have exploded. As would, God forbid, the other person. Right. Well, you're really kind of addressing two things. Uh, reaction time is your... Because our brain is basically a biocomputer, you have, I mean, our nerves only process information so fast and sends the signals so fast to our muscles. And there's, there's a latency, there's a, there's a time delay between recognition, first of all, detection, recognition, and then reaction. And so that's, combine all that stuff into reaction time. And everybody's a little different, but most studies are, are some of the major studies put the average person uh, between a second and a second and a half just, just to actually detect and respond to uh, some kind of hazard. So you've got that delay built in. And the other thing you're talking about is stopping distance because speed is basically, you know, Newton talked about kinetic energy, which is the energy of motion. When cars are moving, they have kinetic energy. Well, when, if, if you, if you double a car's speed, you have quadrupled its kinetic energy. And that kinetic energy is what has to be, uh, is what the brakes get rid of and the tires get rid of. Uh, it turns it into heat. Um, so the if you double your speed, you are quadrupling your stopping distance. That's a critical thing to understand. And the way I first learned about it, and I'll be real brief, is like those five-mile-per-hour bumpers. That when, when you get hit with a safety bumper, in theory, up to five miles per hour, it's not going to damage the bumper. The 
way that it was designed was essentially the force would be four times the, the equivalent of a two and a half mile per hour crash. So it's philosophically kind of the same thing. It, it's not double as bad. It's four times as bad. Right. When I'm driving around and at work in my police vehicle, um, I try to stick pretty close to the speed limit because I like to kind of try to set an example. And most people won't pass me. Um, but I wonder I'm, why. <laughs> yeah, but when I'm driving my personal car, it's really a wake up call to me because uh, I drive more for work than I do for personal. It's really a wake up call when people are going 15 and 20 miles an hour over the speed limit on city streets. And if you're talking a 40 or 45 mile an hour speed limit on our major streets and people are driving 55, 60, 65, which is not uncommon, you can find people doing that. Even the 20, 15 and over and 20 over really increases your stopping distance. So even if you are super tuned in and you detect and react quicker than any other human being, you've got more stopping time than all the other cars around you. And that's why pedestrians get hit. You know, and you mentioned uh, observing things. I live, and it's kind of funny where I live. I drive through Phoenix, Glendale, Peoria, and back into Phoenix to get to my house. I live at 67th Avenue north of Jomax. And when I come out to come to the back into town, I take the side streets and they take me off at the 55th Avenue and Happy Valley Road. And I make a left turn and I head east on Happy Valley Road. Now, when you get to 39th Avenue, there's the Safeway Shopping Center. There's a stoplight. When I leave the stoplight, I get to 35th Avenue and there's a Circle K on the right-hand side of the street, and there's a light. Now, there's no more lights between that point and the I-17. And it's probably a little over a mile. And it's got the roundabout there. Now, I've never seen the sign where it says, go as fast as you want. I think that sign must be there because I travel in Oh, that my area. God. It's unbelievable. I drive a 400 and some odd horsepower Mustang, and I'm getting run off the road if I'm going five miles out an hour over. I get past, and what cracks me up is when I get past on the left-hand side, and this person gets to the roundabout, and they don't even slow down and enter it because they're trying to go over the 17. But... That that spot, it cracks me up. Now, you're in a Mustang, which probably has good shocks and brakes and suspension. I can only imagine you're probably getting passed by, uh, no offense to anyone, but minivans and pickup trucks. And, you know, when you said that, it's absolutely... That and four-door sedans, and what scares me when they go by, and I look over, and I see they have their phone in their hand, and they're they're not even paying attention. Here's something else to consider. I know a lot of people love their pickup trucks and love to modify them, but when you raise the center of gravity and you put off-road capable tires, how much traction do you think you have compared <laughs> to the original equipment? You have you actually have you might have better dirt road traction, but you have you're going to decrease your stopping distance. I mean, no. you're going to decrease your stopping efficiency and increase the distance. When when you just said what you said, I actually used not exactly what you said, but I helped up. Actually, it was a, a lieutenant in the Phoenix Police Department buy a pickup truck the other day, and it was a twenty five hundred mega cab Dodge Diesel. That's a big, big bodied truck. Yes, it is. And it had a four inch lift and big old tires on it. And we were talking about something, and I looked at him and said, "You know, I'm not a fan of lifted trucks. 
I just don't like them. I don't. I think it takes some of the safety away. And he says, well, what do you mean? I said, if they were a good idea, the manufacturer would build them that way. Your, your rollover propensity increases. Higher center of gravity. Higher center of gravity. And you run the risk of overriding other vehicles in a collision. And, of course, if you don't calibrate your odometer, you could be off for well, speeding. Do you guys ever talk about civil liability? Nope. If you're a, We're not lawyers. <laughs> but if you're a driver and you've made modifications to your vehicle and you've lifted it and you override, meaning your truck goes over the top of another vehicle, they're going to look at you potentially as having created a situation that wouldn't have existed with a stock vehicle. And so you need to be more careful when you drive. And, and I want, Ted, if he'd be kind enough to, to, to talk about some of the interesting information he started to talk about as to the information they gather. At, and it will shock you, I assure you. And if you don't mind, the, with these new infotainment centers and with the U.S. government, there are things that you might want to know. So I, I kind of broached the subject about airbag modules and the modern ones. You know, in 2013, they, the federal government passed a law that requires every manufacturer from 2014 on to um, record crash data and make it retrievable. So there are systems out there that can actually go in and, and retrieve the recorded crash data from the airbag module. And it, uh, most of them are about five seconds. So you get five seconds worth of data of the vehicle before it deployed airbags. And so that can include speed, um, how hard the crash was. It can off, Some of them even capture steering wheel angle, uh, individual tires, uh, revolutions per minute, engine speed, throttle speed. They can tell if a person was coasting or if they were uh, full throttle or somewhere in between. They can capture... Um, which airbags uh, went off. They can even record multiple events because how many times does a car have a heavy collision go off and hit a pole? So it can record multiple events. Well, and as an example, when we had that chance to ride together, Ted brought up an example of a, of a police incident that had occurred where a, a vehicle happened to be spotted. And can you, do you mind talking about that? Um, I think that one's under litigation. Okay, so on that one, we won't talk about the particular incident, but perhaps you could talk about the extent or, or some of the extent of, of the things that they capture beyond the scope of just the normal information. And along those lines, I have a really quick question. And it's gonna, so when you're talking about what the car... So in other words, does a car almost have like a black box that an airplane does? It's a silver box. Okay. Yes. Otherwise, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and most of them are made by the German company Bosch. Yeah. And when Dana told me about this a couple of weeks ago before taking, I was, I've been, in, I've been around, I've loved cars for 50 years since I'm a little kid. Never was aware that 
You know, the only time I ever saw it was in Days of Thunder when Robert Duvall pushes the button and it takes the tack to where the car was when the engine blew up. It is unbelievable the information he's going to share about what your car can tell somebody. And even from my limited exposure as being a car dealer for many years, when a, a vehicle would have a crash or or the clutch would go bad or the vehicle would redline and the engine would fail. Well, when people brought the vehicles in, they plug it into the ECU and essentially pull the data necessary to determine what they could. Yeah, it's it's pretty incredible, and every car is different. Um, one thing I wanted to touch on before we're done, though, is that the newest technology, which is always evolving, is is everybody's infotainment centers. Um, there's a company called Berla, B-E-R-L-A, and uh, the Berla Corporation is actually located in Annapolis, Maryland, and there's a lot of federal government in that area. Uh, they've actually got strong ties to the Department of Homeland Security and Department of Defense, and what they've done is they've uh, sort of made their way into capturing your GPS data and your um, uh, your your cell phone calls, your text messages is all stored on your when you pair your Bluetooth phone to your to your infotainment center. All that data is stored. Now, what happens when your car is in a, is totaled? You sell it to the insurance company, more or less. More often than not, yes. Well, you want what, your information out of the car. Good luck. <laughs> um, but they now own your data and believe me your insurance companies are downloading your car after you've totaled it and finding out more what you did and hopefully it matches what you told them because they're trying of course not to pay if they can and limit fraud you know the one thing that i wish would be really cool was that the data that's in the car that they could actually i, I have a hard time guys i it pisses me off so bad that there are going to be people that are going to get unsuspecting car buyers and they're going to be selling cars that got washed by Harvey and unfortunately they're going to be washed by Irma and the problem's going to be... And Texas is such a tough state for this. Yeah, it's just, it's just a bad deal. We'll be back next week and thanks, Ted, for coming on the show. Hopefully we'll get you back. Thanks for having me.